0: Hello, welcome to this special edition of the Capacity podcast. I'm Jack Hannon. I'm a reporter with Capacity Media, and I'm delighted to be joined at this time by Jeff Demworth from Vast Data. So Vast Data, a company I did not know existed until about a month ago. And I wrote a story about them partnering with CoreWeave, uh, which was another company I didn't know existed, but a very exciting, interesting company. And since writing that story, I've also kind of followed Vast's journey and equally as interested by them. So very excited to have Jeff with me. Um there was also another recent announcement uh of a, another partnership beyond the call with one with Lambda that I'm hoping we can chat about later. Um but Jeff, I guess uh for people like me who are unfamiliar with Vast, <laughs> um it'd be great if you could introduce yourself and just tell us a little bit more about um yeah, the company that you that you co-founded. Sure. Uh thanks Jack. So so yeah, I'm Jeff, uh co-founder of
1: Vast Data. We are uh currently in in our seventh year um, with a kind of a mission to accelerate access to data and simplify data infrastructure so that customers can can really get uh, a lot more out of their data than what they did with previous approaches to data management, data storage, data processing, and things like this. And so, yeah, we've been at it selling for a little bit more than four years. And uh, the company is, I I think it's fair to say the company's been on a tear um in 2021 we were valued at uh, just a touch under 4 billion which makes us the most valu- valuable private uh data infrastructure company in history and if you look beyond that um last year we we announced or at the beginning of this year we announced that we we've kind of exceeded 100 million dollars of annualized run rate as a software business which um to do that within within 3 years is pretty spectacular so Lots of customers all around the world, um, big and small, Uh, you know, the the defining characteristic is lots of data and um, yeah, super happy to be on the podcast
0: yeah but maybe let's start there with some of those customers and you know you mentioned kind of accelerating access to data mm-hmm. being kind of like i guess core to the vast data mission what what does that mean for some of your customers like what what's in it for them like what they're not doing that they could be doing with vast or what's kind of stood in their way before you guys came along sure so so it's it's been an evolution in terms of what the product is understood to be in the
1: market we've always had like a, a kind of a common vision for the picture that we painted over the summer to the world. Uh, and we've just kind of like in, been incrementally building out this, this platform. And so, you know, when we started, we, we introduced this platform as a storage system. Um, and the distinguishing characteristics were, you know, really we're all about breaking trade-offs. If you think about like storage infrastructure for the last, I don't know, 20 or 30 years, everybody kind of always has this trade-off that you have to wrestle with as you think about managing data you put your high performance data on some really expensive storage systems you put your you know kind of like low performance light access data on archival infrastructure you fast forward to 2023 everybody's talking about things like deep learning and ai it turns out that these these algorithms and these models get more accurate as you expose them to more and more data on a repeated basis so turns out that old tiered data management model doesn't apply anymore. Uh, And we kind of sit there in the catbird seat saying, well, if if we can make infrastructure as affordable as an archive, but build it entirely from high-performance flash storage, whether we're talking about files or objects or databases, in all cases, it's like the perfect story for customers because now they don't need to worry about what tier of infrastructure their data is. And then the second consideration is scale. Like if you're going for broken telling customers you can put all your data on one thing, needs to scale in a way that is reliable and has all the enterprise features and and you know kind of like capabilities that you would expect from a system that's ultimately the vessel for the most important important stuff within an organization which is their kind of critical data assets so that's been the story now um deep learning is is you know really taken off this year um that doesn't really sound like a revolutionary statement when i say it <laughs> but uh but yeah, you know, everybody's talking about ChatGPT and what have you. And it turns out that we've been really well positioned for this uh, market event. And now we've got customers all around the world that are training new models and doing inference on vast infrastructure. And and that seems to be growing at just an exponential pace.
0: Yeah, as you said, it's about kind of, you want to be able to feed these models on as much data as possible. And I suppose it's just like bringing it all together so that it's easily accessible and, you know, not... Yeah, I guess if you think about it as like a library, like rather than having to go to like ten different bookshops, um, get all of the the stuff that you need to learn about a topic, you go to the library. It's all there. It's all in one place. Much easier to to do things, right? No,
1: it's it's like the Matrix. You get like the thing jacked in the back of your head, and all of a sudden you know kung fu in a matter of a few seconds.
0: Yeah, uh, wicked. Um, so. What's the story behind Vast kind of being set up? You're, as I said, you're one of the co-founders. Um, yeah. Where did the idea for the company come from? Has this always been kind of like the vision, like anticipating this AI boom, or have things evolved in the past kind of seven years or so?
1: Um, so so the, you know, the kind of the foundational pitch deck for the early investors, uh, there was a the last slide of that deck that talked about building a thinking machine. And we'd always kind of been watching deep learning and we've been, um, we, we studied companies like Uber and Facebook, uh, Google. There was only a few people that were doing like hardcore AI research back in those days. Turns out vast was founded about within 10 days of the founding of open AI, but you know, it would, it would have been kind of like, I think really irresponsible to, to introduce a company into the market in 2018 with the focus on, you know, large scale AI research because, or or application of AI, just because nobody was doing it, right. So we started just by selling infrastructure for legacy applications, just kind of waiting for this event. We didn't know when it would happen, like nobody would have predicted ChatGPT. But um, when it did hit, we were just like sitting there with a big catcher's mitt waiting for the opportunity.
0: Uh, Who's we? Where did this idea come from? Who who is your co-founders alongside you? Yeah,
1: I think, um, Renan, uh, our CEO largely gets credit with the, for the idea. We've got a few architects that, that we partnered with in the early days, uh, people like Alone and Asaf that, um, are very, very smart people and, and helped contribute to the, the concept. But the brain, it's really Renan's brainchild. He had this vision for a system that wasn't storage. It wasn't a database. It was kind of a combination of the two. Uh, A system that was a computer that you could scale to data center scale proportions, and so um, he's he's a really smart guy. He's he's a pleasure to work
0: with. I never, I didn't even know him. We just, you know, we just called each other kind of out of the blue. Uh, Really, I was about to ask how you guys met. So what what happened there? Um, He he worked at a company
1: previously with uh, one of one of my former bosses, and so you know he's starting up Vast, and he's got this idea. He calls this guy Josh and says well, okay we're getting the band back together and josh is like no you know i made enough money on my last one i'm good called jeff and then i get the call so I, my my specialization is go to market i help with things like marketing and product management and sales
0: okay cool that makes sense so other than Brennan coming in and oh sorry so i guess giving you a call setting this up who else is uh who else is part of like a core member of the team
1: yeah there's um i think a few other people we're now a team of 700 and I half want to like name everybody because we're all really um, kind of moving forward uh, as a big team. But um, Shahar is a gentleman that's in Israel um, who runs our R and D team. He's another co founder, uh, and then and then Mike Wing is our president. Um, he was formerly for EMC and um, C, and he runs the sales organization. And you know, I think that's it's kind of the core core early management team, and uh, yeah, uh, of us. Only Mike and Renan worked together previously. Everybody just kind of came together and All right, really. made this weird brew. Uh, <laughs> it turns out didn't, you know, it, it turns out it worked. Do you say you're up to 700 people
0: now? Yeah, plus or minus. I don't know oh, what okay. the exact number is, but that's a pretty sizable scale. So, other than hiring like 695 people, what else <laughs> has changed since, um, since 2015? Um, you know, it's,
1: well, pretty much everything, but. Uh, you know I think the customer velocity now uh, we we kind of knew what we wanted to do when we were waiting for the market to come to us, and the customer velocity now is is what we had hoped for, so we're picking up like you you mentioned earlier core Weave. Um, we're partnering with some of the world's largest uh AI organizations, and these people are building out massively large infrastructure like you know to the dimensions that people would have only otherwise associated. The, the biggest public cloud service providers to be building at and it's all for these new applications that you know weren't even being considered two years ago so it's it's really fantastic
0: yeah i was going to mention core weave so i think in there um i love that promo video that you guys did it was kind of like a netflix uh trailer <laughs> like yeah. the, um all of like the voiceovers and like the b-roll um but there's a thing right at the beginning of that I forget exactly who it is from Weave, but someone says like um, when we first vast you guys approached CoreWeave in like 2019 and they told you no um, <laughs> and then they're like oh we were so wrong but um, what's yeah why don't you tell us a little bit about like the weave partnership and the starting back from then starting from like 2019 when you first had the conversation with them and how that's led us to where we are today. Sure maybe I'll explain the market dynamic just to give people a sense of what's going on. So,
1: you know, chat GPT happens, um, a, a mountain of venture capital gets spilled into the market with everybody that's training these new AI models, models for chatbots, ma- models for, you know, general intelligence, models for self-driving cars, models for everything, right? Um, and if you, if you go today to Amazon and you want to rent eight GPUs, if you can get them, and they're, they're pretty capacity constrained, if you can get them in a single server, it costs you a million dollars a year. So you're talking about like a significant amount of money to be spent for any AI activity. And some of the, the customers in the marketplace don't just need eight, but they need like 8,000 or in certain cases like 16 or 20,000 of these. And so you can see the numbers really start to add up quickly. But the other consideration is that general purpose infrastructure that comes from the likes of these like large public clouds isn't really well suited to getting a lot of efficiency out of these machines. And so there's this whole class of new service providers that have emerged over the last really few months um, in in kind of like earnest that are addressing the topic of GPU efficiency uh, and availability in a way that you don't get from large public clouds. So CoreWeave is a great example of this. Um, it's, a, it's kind of a secretive organization. They're trying to be less and less secretive over time, um, but... But nobody had ever heard of them. And they have made some really significant partnerships uh, with organizations like NVIDIA and with Microsoft. And, And what they're doing is they're building some of the world's largest data centers, right? You know, capacity, you know, things in terms of like infrastructure terms. They're building single data centers that have like 50 megawatts of power, right? And they may have 10 or 15 of these in the build plan that they announced, right? So you're talking about hundreds of megawatts of power all sitting there on very very specialized ai clusters that they're building that are designed to get the most efficiency out of these gpus so they're they're servicing the needs of some of the biggest model building or i should say model training projects right now Uh, they announced um they announced one customer that i can speak of which is called inflection ai they make a, a chatbot called pi um I think I characterize it right as a chatbot. This is a company that's um invested in by like Bill Gates and Eric Schmidt from Google and Reed Hoffman from from LinkedIn. Uh I don't even think they have a hundred people, but they they're using 22,000 GPUs at uh at Coreweave, which you know the investment there is more than the GDP of Micronesia. <laughs> it's crazy. So um so and that's just one of their customers, and it gives you a flavor of how these guys are operating. And, and the crazy, the really crazy thing is that we're in the very beginnings of this moment where, you know, people are realizing now that these models are intelligent enough, let's go apply them to both commercial, retail and business application. Right. And, uh, and, and so the next wave of this becomes something called inference where the models go and infer on what's happening in the world. Right. You know, if you put in a prompt with chat GPT or, or something like, uh, I don't know like stable diffusion uh which is more for like images what comes out is is an inference operation uh and that re- also requires a ton of machinery and so people are just building out the next generation of data centers now designed for efficiency designed for these new AI processors and all of this is being fed by data and that's where we come in so um so yeah the 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 partnership with CoreWeave runs really really deep with us we're outfitting um all of their data centers with the infrastructure to basically feed all these big AI processors that they're deploying.
0: Mm-hmm. That makes sense. And how about the um, how, how about the partnership with, uh, with Lambda? Is that a similar kind of uh, dynamic there, or what can you tell us about that?
1: Yeah, we, we announced two others that I think are in the same vein of core. we Lambda's one. Lambda has a, a maybe a little bit more of a unique business model where they also sell systems. So um, if you ever, like, watch what Amazon do does, they they can put an outpost in your data center. I think Lambda is kind of a similar style of business where you can run on their cloud, you can run in their co-location facilities, or you can just buy systems from them. Uh, and they build, like, rack-scale AI infrastructure. Um, and here, um, the, the the partnership looks a lot like what we did with CoreWeave in that um, we're powering their cloud. But the the more interesting thing is that we also have customers that build their own data centers, And so with Lambda, we have this unique opportunity to, to kind of combine the stuff that's within the customer's four walls and what's in Lambda's four walls and build like a unified data management experience across both of those different places. Um, and then, and then another one is Core 42. These guys are, um, out of the UAE. They're in, um, Abu Dhabi. They're backed by uh, the the Emirati investment organization called Mubadala, and um, they're really, you know, they're capitalized with billions of dollars. Uh, the first big system that they announced is is actually not a system with NVIDIA, it's another company called Cerebris, who makes like wafer scale size uh, AI processors. Um, and here, you know, we're deploying hundreds of petabytes of infrastructure for Core 42, so Common styles of applications, different locations all around the world, and vast is this kind of like common thread across all these new AI clouds.
0: That makes sense. I mean, you mentioned there's obviously a lot of um, massive investment going into um, building out infrastructure for AI, um, and obviously you've touched on like some companies there that are really kind of like honing in and making that a speciality. I think a lot of our kind of you know data centers and people that we speak to at capacity are equally you know excited and bullish on the prospects of, of AI and how much of a driver it's going to be for the data consumption for their businesses um do you, how, have you guys had many conversations with kind of some of those um I guess more like legacy uh data center infrastructure players and how ready do you think they are for what's for what's coming
1: well there's um there, there's a few considerations. Uh, I think the biggest is actually power. So I was with a large um, an extremely large credit card processor uh, yesterday. And these guys, they they want to do all this stuff with large language models and they are fundamentally limited in their data center. They're buying as much GPUs as they have power is the way to think about it. So now they're working to turn off other machines within their environment so that they can make room like give more headway from a power perspective for these new AI processors. These, these processors individually draw kilowatts of power. So it's, you know, the same as like a whole server, you're just talking about the processor level. Um, and, and it's not going to get any better anytime soon. So I think the number one kind of thread that we see is people want to build infrastructure, either for AI training or for inference. First thing you need is power. Um, but the other kind of complement to that is you need capital, right? And not every customer needs to spend the GDP of Micronesia. Um, but, but these, these machines are quite expensive. Like it, it, you know, the, the Cadillac from Nvidia is called the DGX A100. It costs about, uh, a few hundred thousand dollars, right? Just for one server. You need two. Well, that's going to cost a multiple of a hundred, a couple hundred thousand dollars. So um so so it's it's definitely like a king sport when it comes to to playing this game but you can get started relatively modestly um and what we find is around the world you know these models may get trained centrally but inference will happen at the edges and so all of these kind of classic data center environments are now being retrofitted because they're closest to where the customers want to have computing done um and so there's a huge opportunity just for
0: AI inference. Mm-hmm that makes that makes a lot of sense okay i guess uh bonus question time so um (laughs) jeff uh jeff and i actually tried to record this on uh on wednesday and had some technical issues that will like lift behind the curtain so it's friday today um but on on the morning that we originally were aiming to speak i wrote a story about um some researchers at the university of chicago that had released a um They'd released some research that had been seen by MIT's technology review. And essentially the idea was that they were trying to poison data sets that were leading in for inference AI. Um, And I think with this specific example, the idea was if you're an artist and your uh, art is being scraped from the web to feed into one of these models, um, you could change some of the data in the pixels, which is unseeable to the naked eye, but um, to the learning model, it's basically giving it data that it's misinterpreting and it's leading it to spit out stuff that it shouldn't be. So if you rec- use your keyword as like a dog after 50, 300, however many samples, um, it would eventually start spitting out pictures of cats, which is a, a big problem if that, like, kind of that's what the AI is being designed for. So what what did you think about that, Jeff? Uh, do you think this is like a big threat, like kind of these bad actors, or is it something that we're really like, prepared for as the, as an industry? Um, you know, this problem has been going on for
1: some time. You see people like, uh, Sarah Silverman just sued, uh, I forget who it was, maybe like uh, Google, um, or maybe it was Meta, but somebody they got sued just because their likeness was used for a training operation. And so it's like, okay, everything that you're doing going forward has some element of me. So I want some royalties. And, and, you know, the, the art, the artist problem in particular is, is really difficult. But, um, you know, my, my thinking is always, you know, art is always inspired. So in some sense, there's a little bit of hypocrisy here because nobody like, you know, if, if you're a painter, you, you've kind of probably studied painting before you started writing something. So you've already had yourself been influenced, but okay. So people don't like these AI robots because maybe it puts you out of business. Um, it's, it's definitely a challenge, but I think most of the, most of the serious AI research organizations already understand the liabilities and the risks, and they have to do things like prove that everything that they've trained their data on, all the data that they've trained on has like, they have the rights to, to use that data. So I think a lot of these like poisoning concepts are for people that are doing unsanctioned training operations. Um, and and it's not, you know, you probably can't sue those organizations anyway, because, They don't have money,
0: right? Okay, because so they seem to think that there's not real any any transparency around it. So, how do you kind of hold people accountable in terms of what data they're using to train? the models? Who's looking at that? Oh, you,
1: you, have, you have regulations, right? And you have, um, you have to provide like proof of custody. So there, the models that are getting deployed as services in the likes of like Amazon and GCP, Google Cloud Platform, uh, Azure, the people that, that sell these models have to like sign um, statements, legal documents that confirm that they're using only data that they have access to. And so, um, in, in these cases, I don't think that they have to worry about poisoning because um, A, they're, they're working really hard to curate the data sets that they train on, and two, they inspect everything. So, they're going to know if you know if their cat model becomes too doggish uh, before it actually gets released out to the world.
0: Right. Okay. That makes sense. I mean, definitely, I think there's an interesting one to watch and be keen to get more people's thoughts on it. But, yeah. Um... As a, a mere kind of bystander myself, I don't really feel equipped to <laughs> continue arguing with you. Um, well, I think we're kind of wrapping up for time. So, Jeff, thank you so much for joining us. it um, been great to chat with you. Just tell people where they can find out more about Vast uh, if they're so inclined after listening to this podcast. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Jack. So we're at vastdata.com. Easy peasy easy nice and easy um right well yeah check out vast um check out more capacity podcasts wherever you're listening to this one and uh we'll see you soon for another edition